My superpower is killing a conversation, so there you go. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. Hire.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal and accounting and tax support. And they'll give you $2,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $4,000 instead. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Freelancer Show. This episode is sponsored by Nerd.us. Do you wish that somebody else would handle all of those operation details when it comes to hosting your client's web applications? Nerd.us is a Ruby on Rails managed hosting designed to make your life easy. They migrate everything for you, and new signups or referrals come with a $100 discount or a referral fee. To sign up, go to freelancershow.com slash nerd. That's freelancershow.com slash N-I-R-D, and enter freelancer into the contact form for a discount. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 177 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Reuben Lerner. Hey, everyone. Jonathan Stark. Hello. Philip Morgan. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. We have a special guest this week, and that's Keith Perhack. Hi, thanks for having me. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Keith Perhack. I run a technical marketing agency, which means we do marketing for people who are looking to create information products, sell their products more online, et cetera, et cetera. The one interesting fact about that is that the entire company is run out of the middle of nowhere Japan, even though we have very few Japanese clients. Very cool. So I've met Keith. We met at MicroConf, and he was also a guest on the Entreprogrammers podcast. And we got you on today to talk about repurposing content and building courses. Yay. Excellent. That's what I love to talk about. Very cool. So as freelancers, we're kind of experts in hopefully at least in something that we're selling to our clients. How do you find stuff that you can repurpose in that way to build a course? Wow. So that's uh, jumping right in. So (laughs) yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So as a freelancer, as a let's not even say freelancer, let's say someone who's creating information and content on the internet. In order to get any sort of list, you have to have created some sort of content already, right? Like no one just wakes up and says, okay, I want a list of 5,000 people and I'm going to sell a $10,000 product to them. Like it just, that's a great goal, but you're not going to be able to send out an email that morning and say, okay, now I have, now I just ran a $1 million launch, right? So we're going to start with the assumption that at the point where you're looking to create a course and looking to start building something like this, you already have some amount of content already available, whether it's a blog, whether it's a ton of tweets, whether it's maybe even software that you've put together over time, you have to have some sort of library that people are interested in and have you've built a list around, right? Is that is that a good assumption to start with? Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. So let's let's start with that. And let's start with the easiest one, because sometimes building software and building a list around it, like they're different strategies. Let's start with the easiest, which is I have a blog and I talk about something to someone. So specifically, let's use my use case, which is so we do a lot of marketing with Infusionsoft, which is kind of the new hotness in the small to medium business uh, CRM space. And so I do a lot of writing about Infusionsoft. And I built up a small list of people who like reading about Infusionsoft, who they've either been clients of mine or they've referred people to me or they just like the blog and they read it, right? So I have a bunch of things like how to build a timer for your opt-in funnel, how to build a better opt-in funnel, how to work with Infusionsoft. So it's just all the information that I talk about, right? Part of it is informational. I'd say about 70% is informational. It's like tactical teaching. And the other 30% is what I like to call content fluff, right? It's what gets people to understand you as a person. It's me talking about like, oh, my life in Japan, or hey, I hate working with Japanese companies now, or (laughs) just things that happen in my life that make me more relatable, right? So we're looking at this, and we have this body of work. And I'm looking at it, I'm going like, okay, what do I do with this? I know I want to create a course. I want to create an opt-in something. I want to create something that gets people excited about what I'm talking about beyond the confines of this blog, right? But I've already talked about everything I know. I, I've talked about everything I know about Infusionsoft. It's the, it's the expert's dilemma, right? 
it's you know everything that you know. And like, how do people not understand all of this, right? And especially when you're doing a blog, you, you it's true, right? Like, you, you, you talk to people and like this conversation that I'm having right now, I'm jumping at kind of a high level, right? And that's because I wrongly probably assume that people have kind of followed me up to this point, that they understand what I understand. But that's a, that's a huge fallacy, right? And that's what I'm hoping that you guys are going to help and, like, just kind of punch me down a little and say, I have no idea what you're talking about, Keith. You're talking way too fast. Shut the hell up. Like, <laughs> and feel, feel free to jump in at any point with that. I'm going to um, actually, no, but, since, you're, I, since you're asking, okay. I have a, a question right off the bat. Yeah. What do you mean when you say course? I mean, we're not talking about a Udemy course where it's like an eight-hour video thing, I, I think. I think what you're talking about is like a five-day free email course type of course for, that you'd use as a lead magnet or, well, you know. It, it could be anything. And that's where the whole content repurposing comes in because there's different levels that you can bring out a course, right? And different things have different values, right? Specifically based on the way you present them and the information included, right? So my, my favorite example is 37 Signals put out the book, I believe was Getting Started. I, I'm blanking on the name right now. It was a was print it book. Was it? No, it was before Rework, I believe. Oh, okay. But they, they put out a book. It was sold on Amazon for, I think it was sold for 25 bucks or something like that. And they had sold it for a while. And at some point, they were like, we've maxed out the revenue that we're really going to make for this. It's not like a huge money maker for us. But it'd be really great for the community, right? It'd be really great. We're just going to release this as a, as a PDF, right? So they took this book, which previously sold for like 25 bucks. Yep. So getting real. That's what it was. Getting real. Thank you. They put it out on their site and they said, get the free PDF. Just give us your email address. And the vitriol that was just directed at them. They're like, why do I need to give my email address for a PDF? Like, this is <laughs> and people are sharing the link to the PDF. It's like, oh, I love people. <laughs> I know. And, and this was this was like hacker news. This was all this was their market. This was the techie people. Right. And it was just filled with vitriol of why do I have to give my email address for a PDF? Even though it's a $25 totally book. okay with forking over money for the same PDF. Exactly. Well, it wasn't a PDF. That's the thing. When a you book. Exactly. It was a book versus a PDF. And it's interesting that the PDF has turned into like just worthless. Like a PDF is worthless at this point. No one gives any money for a PDF when you call it a PDF, right? You can have that same PDF and call it an ebook, call it a white paper, call it whatever you want, uh-huh. and people will pay money for it. They will give email addresses for it, but it was that word PDF that just completely decimated and just all this vitriol. It was amazing. It was amazing to watch, just beautiful, and it's like like a car wreck in NASCAR, right? <laughs> end but over end. It, it was. It oh was, wow. <laughs> I don't think so what you, what you call and I guess this is like you know fundamentals of marketing here but what you call something really does have an impact on what people think of it and what value they associate with it. Oh hugely. Hugely. I think that there's two main things that really change that value proposition. One of them is of course the naming. What you call something even though like it's a very lizard brain thing, right? Our higher cognitive functions were like the content is the same, it shouldn't matter what it's called, but our lizard brains we see something that is named something that's detrimental, that's a low-value word, and we're like, this is worthless. We don't value it, right? But if we see something that's uh, that's kind of named a higher-value word, like um, master level, or that's why everything's called a master class now, right? It's like a bunch of guys getting together. Maybe one guy's a mentor, or even the word mentor, right? Look at these words that we use in marketing: mentor, master class, VIP. Things like this make things seem so much more valuable than they are, right? And maybe they are valuable, maybe they're not, but that's not the point. That's something that happens after you start the course, after you purchase, after you start consuming the content, that's when you're getting value out of it. And that's when you can decide it's valuable or not. But before then, all you have to judge is the name, right? So the name is is very important. So Keith, uh, by by sort of way of 101 level uh, topics on this, can you kind of map out for us the landscape of uh, delivery mechanisms and names like in terms of the perceived value? Definitely. So I would say the absolute lowest is probably blog post. Maybe tweet is below that, um, but I've seen (laughs) some really good tweets. But essentially, let's call it non-gated content on the internet. That's probably the lowest value. Blog post not very valuable in 
the grand scheme of things from a transactional relationship, right? People are, right. you know, people put on ad blockers to stop viewing ads on free articles, right? right. No one's going to pay for articles on things. Very rarely, anyways. The next level would probably be PDF. The next level would probably be ebook. So an ebook is something you can definitely sell for money. People do. The most expensive ebook only that I've ever seen, I think, is $97. And um, that was Ramit Sethi's 50 Email Scripts, I think is the name of it. Great book, by the way. I highly recommend it. And then after that, you start getting into courses. Or let's, let's go into bundles first. So after that, you go into bundles. So it's a PDF plus something else. It's like an ebook plus some videos plus some Photoshop templates or something similar like that. And then the last one is kind of the course. And courses are really a whole conversation themselves. And we can totally go into that because I love talking about courses. But a course is information over time. That is the core definition of an online course at this point. It's information over time. It can include video. It cannot have video. It can have one-on-one calls. It cannot have one-on-one calls. There's a ton of things you can do to kind of mix it up and play with that. But at the the end of the day, at the core, it's information plus time. All right. And that's an interesting thing because that even if you're providing, and I assume this is sort of where you're going, but like you can provide the same information all at once and you can provide the same information all the time. And the perception of the value is totally different. Yes, exactly. You know, I always talk about like a college course. Okay. When you sign up for college and you go to your new course and the professor comes, he drops 17 books on your, on your desk and goes, and that's it. I'm gone. Right. That, that's not how it works. Right. That's uh, no one would pay the amount of money they pay for college if the college just gave them a bunch of books and said, there you go. That's all the information you're going to need. You're done. Right. Yeah. The guy has to show up and put you to sleep. Exactly. Exactly. You need to get your rest time. Wait, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> college and the the learning experience, why we just don't get books and like instantly learn things is because we need someone to lead us through at a pace because information, especially in a course, builds on previous learnings, right? So the things you're learning on day one are much simpler than what you're learning on day 300, but it is a foundation for what you're learning on 300. You can't just skip to day 300 and, and expect to understand that because you don't have the foundations. And that's something that we actually see a lot of when people try to do the all at once course, right? So people do these online courses that they're just like, okay, here's all the information done, right? And what we've seen happen is that people skip around. So people will read chapter one. They're like, oh, this is really interesting. They get to chapter two and they say, well, I already know this. And they skip to chapter three. And chapter three, unbeknownst to them, built on something that was on chapter two, but they didn't know that. So suddenly they're feeling a little bit lost, but they're able to get through. Chapter four goes into more in depth, but they needed that information in chapter two. So now they're more lost and they get more and more lost as they go on because they were they're skipping around. Right. And what that does is that people are upset with the course. They're like, this course didn't teach me anything. It was too difficult or it didn't teach the right things or they're, they're never going to blame themselves for skipping around. Right. They're going to blame the course. It's like when you get an electronics thing from the from the store, you don't read the instruction manual and you break it. And you're like, this, this is a stupid piece of crap. I, like, it doesn't work. <laughs> right? It's the same thing. You need that order. You need that structure in order to get real value out of a course. And that's what that time component does. Because if you're only allowed to have one chapter a week or two chapters a week or whatever that kind of time delay is, you're going to spend time with that chapter. You're not going to just going to skip ahead to the end because you can't, right? It gives you time to digest it. Exactly, exactly. And what we've done with a lot of our courses is while they're digesting, we give them supplemental information like a quiz or a form that they fill out or even like a video that helps them out that supplements that learning that comes at the right time, right? So it's not just this block of information. It's okay, here's the core information we're going to learn this week. And then two days later, you get this video. Here's something to think about for next week. This is going to spur you on for the next part, right? So chunking it up is very important. So do you not want to just deliver the whole thing at once then? No, generally not. For retention value, for for retention reasons, for people getting lots of value out of the course, very good to break it up. Also, there's a, there's a psychological marketing side of that where if you say, hey – we have a nine-week course here. People value that much more than a 100-page ebook, 
right? Even if the content is exactly the same. And that's kind of coming full circle back to the idea of repurposing content. Okay. So we've had a lot of people be very successful in taking an ebook or something they've already written, chopping it up into parts and put it as an online course. And then they record extra video or they put some supplemental stuff. Maybe they put a quiz or something, something to make it have different content, more value than just the PDF. But the core of it is still that PDF, right? And you look at what a lot of people do in the information marketing or the kind of info product space, which is they take something that they've already written or that they built in the past and expand upon it for an online course, right? So Keith, there's a whole very sort of stodgy button down discipline called instructional design that I have some uh, contact with from previous work that is full of, you know, theories and ideas about what's the most effective way to take a big blob of information and present it, right? Mm-hmm. Is there sort of a, you know, like a little five minute intro level to information design that, or maybe an approach you use with your clients to, because I'm assuming you don't just take chapter one of said ebook and turn them to lesson one of, of said course. Maybe it's a little, you know, maybe there's a little more to it than that. I'm curious about that. It's actually interesting that you mentioned that because usually when someone has an ebook or we'll, we'll call it an ebook, uh, an initial book with chapters, if they've done it right, is generally laid out in a very similar method, right? And for people who don't have that first ebook, yes, you have to go in and go through the planning stages as well as, okay, what information needs to be based on each level in order to get people the most information and instructional value that they can, right? But usually by the time that they have a book out, the book has followed, if it's a good book, it, the book follows that kind of same structure and format, right? Right. So what we actually talk about with people who are taking that ebook into a course is, well, let's re- revisit this and see if it's the correct structure. But nine times out of ten, it is. And let's look at what supplemental information we can put in there, right? Mm-hmm. So what can we make? So each chapter, let's say, is a week. But a week is a long time to not email anyone and not talk about the course. So what can we put in as kind of like a side filler? right? Whether that's a video or a survey or something. And the best way we found to get that is to email people who have bought the book before and ask very specific pointed questions, not as like a survey kind of thing. So the way that I always give the example, and I really like this example, is if I write a blog post on the perfect sales funnel, right? So I I go through everything from the very beginning to the very end, nuts and bolts, the perfect sales funnel. And I'm like, okay, I've written the definitive work on the sales funnel. I have nothing else to write on this, but I want to turn it into a course. I want to make the ultimate guide to sales funnels, but I already wrote it. It's a, it's a thousand page or it's a thousand word blog article. What do I do from there? Right. And it's the same with your PDF or your ebook. What do you do to get more information, more supplemental information out of that? And the, the way that we found to do it, which is really nice is that we take a part of that. So we take a part of the chapter or we take a very specific question out of the blog article or whatever it is, and we email that out as a broadcast to our list. And we say, hey, this is what I've been talking about this week. Isn't this awesome? What? How do you feel about this? Do you understand it? Do you not understand it? Is there something you do better? Finding very specific questions and just being able to pull out more information from your audience based on that. Because, you know, like we said, experts dilemma, we don't understand why people don't understand our stuff. And the easiest way to find out what they don't understand and where they need clarification is to ask them. And once you ask them and just like, say, reply to this email, don't have them fill out a form because no one's going to fill out a form, right? Just say reply to this email, collect it all in Excel or whatever, but have them give you feedback about the content. And that's going to give you a number of great things. First of all, it's going to give you a jumping off point of other information you can write about the chapter. It gives you information about supplemental information you could put in there. It also gives you great testimonials or great ideas of other ways to do it. It's it's this beautiful content generator that kind of sparks your inspiration not coming from yourself, right? I've got two. I just want to pile on there and give two examples of that happening in my recent experience. 
One is that uh, I was talking to a coaching student the other day about the importance of him setting up an email list, you know, like, you know, starting to get grab emails and building his list. And, and he is definitely an expert in his area. And his response was like, yeah, but I can only think of like four emails for the entire sequence. And I don't really know what to say after that. And I was like, you're going to get so many questions about those four emails that you're, you're just going to have like the series is going to build itself. The sequence is going to build itself over time. And the other thing, to just touch on a point earlier about jumping around, I just wanted to throw out an exception. Uh, sorry, uh, the point about the um, book usually being laid out pretty well is that mm-hmm. I'm in the uh, tech space, and so I've written some books for O'Reilly. And one of the toughest kinds of books, in my opinion, to turn into a course is a cookbook-style book. Mm, yeah. Because it doesn't, it's, not, it's laid out to jump around. Mm-hmm. So that might be, you know, if people are listening and they say, oh, I've got this, you know, I've got that kind of material, it's probably going to take a lot more work to turn it into a narrative or like a, a sequenced series of courses, right. I guess, or classes, whatever you call it. I, I completely agree. I think I love cookbooks. I have so many cookbooks, like technical cookbooks in my office that's not even funny. But you're exactly right because there is not kind of this based on growth narrative to it it's very difficult to turn into a course because it's you know it's a reference manual you're like okay i'm using xml and i need to do this and flip through the book find it there it is okay now i have the code right the cookbooks that i've used have there's very little kind of growth pattern to them one section does not build on the on the next right yeah i have one that's like screen scrapers here's you know if you want to if you want to you know scrape this go like this it's like almost like a um a regular expressions manual it's just like mm-hmm. you know the, the person's a genius and it's got great content but it's very difficult to I, I it's hard to imagine turning that into something that you could you know where day 300 actually did build on day right 299 exactly exactly and you know going back to the the email point i think that's a a very big hang up that a lot of people have because I know I had it when I started writing content. I was like, I've, I've written everything I know. Like I can't imagine anyone else having another problem that I haven't touched on. And then I talked to a client and they had another problem and it's like, Oh, I could write about that. And then I have an email from someone who had, who has a problem or question. I was like, Oh, I can write about that. And essentially any communication you get from your audience or from anyone can now become content that is useful for you and your audience, right? So I do a ton of training. That's like what I do, I would say about 80% of my time is frontal training in companies. I often tell the participants in my classes that if I were to go back three, four, five years and look at my slides, they would probably be about half as long. And that's because people ask me questions. I say, oh, that's a really great question. And then I add it to the slides. I add it to the, the course. Mm-hmm. I also don't make a blog post out of it. You know, I sort of, I, I sometimes make an exercise out of it because if someone's asking, then it's a real perceptible problem. And one of the, the tricks that I've often used, because I've encountered this a lot, where I say, okay, how much is there really to say about subject X? So one of the tricks I've used is I've divided my uh, courses into many, many, many uh, keynote presentations. So instead of having this course's 300 slides, it's I've divided it up. So I have, you know, more or less chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. First of all, it allows me flexibility and mixing and matching. But second of all, the moment that I say, I'm now going to talk about files, like how do I open file or work with files in Python? Suddenly I say, really? I only have three slides worth of information for that? I'm sure I can come up with more. And I dig and dig and dig. And lo and behold, I come up with like 40. (laughs) And so this thing that seems so straightforward and so obvious, suddenly you're discovering lots of nuances that are really going to help people and that they find insightful. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And it's, you know, it's expert dilemma. It's like there's so much information out there. But if you sit down with a pen and go, okay, what do I know? You're never going to get it, right? You need right. something like, okay, it's like writing an encyclopedia from start, right? It's like, okay, now I write about aardvarks and now I have no idea, right? <laughs> so it's, it's really important to get that feedback and to get that community. And it's interesting because one of the, the biggest things, the biggest pieces of value, I think that a lot of people, when they're creating their first course, when they're creating their PDF, or they're creating even a blog, they're like, this information has been talked about forever. I have all the information on my blog. No one's ever going to buy this ebook or buy this online course, right? That's a huge problem. But it's not true, right? Because you could have hundreds of thousands of articles on your blog, but no one's going to go through and read them all in order that they make sense for their specific use case and 
kind of piece them together and get the nuggets of information out that they need for their specific use case, right? So I always say that, you know, the real value doesn't come specifically from the information. The information, of course, is valuable, but that's not the core value. The core value is having the information collected and I'm totally spacing on the word. I've been in Japan way too long. I'm forgetting my English. Not scrutinized, but just kind of collected into this package of information that relates specifically to my use case, right? So when I buy a book, let's say I buy a business book. I don't buy the book business, right? There's a very specific, like, it just teaches you everything about business, right? It's just thousands of articles about business. No, I buy something very specific. For example, how to start an international marketing agency, right? So that would be a book I would probably buy. Even if the information is the same, it's been cut down. I I call it localizing it. You know, it's like translating it for a particular use case or a particular audience. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Exactly, exactly. And specific audience and even within your own audience, right? Because let's say you're talking about, let's say, finances, okay? So let's say you're talking about finances. You can take all that information you have about finances and put them into different products that talk about different aspects of finance management, whether it's building a budget or creating an IRA or building stocks or whatever it is that you talk about, being able to collect it into little groupings and then being able to sell that. And that's what people pay for. Like all the information that I'm ever going to talk about, that any of my clients are ever going to talk about, 99.9% of it is already on the internet. None of my clients are doing huge research, million-dollar research grants at MIT, building new like physics models and stuff like that, right? We're teaching information that we have learned that everyone else in the world is teaching, right? There's a lot of this information on the internet, but people are buying it from me and from my clients Not because this information, this is the only place to get that information, but because we put it together in such a way that is relatable, that is understandable, and that more specifically takes you through a number of steps built around your specific use case, right? It's very targeted information. Curated. That's the word I've been looking for for five minutes. Curated content. I think there's even a step beyond the curation and the delivery. There's also a trust factor where, yes, I can find this information for free on the internet, but I don't trust that the person who wrote it actually understands the situation that I'm in, so I'm not sure it applies to my business. Exactly. So if that person, you know, has that sort of, I think at the very beginning of the talk, you said something about, you know, like, I think like 30% of sort of fluff content where your personality comes through and your, maybe your mission or your goal or your background. And if the reader relates to those things, I think they're more likely to trust the information that you're presenting and the way that you're presenting it is more applicable to their situation. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you look at the people who are kind of killing it in the, in the online marketing space and the way that they position it is often, Hey, I went through this and I did this and I understand your exact pain and here's how I solved it. Right. Evan Pagan just had a, a launch last week and he had, I, I tweeted this, he had probably the best, uh, sell the lifestyle sales video I've ever seen. It was like 30 minutes long, but he put it together in such a way and it talks about him. And how he went from, hey, I'm just this guy to having this life where he can go. It has like video of him on the beach with his kids. And it's like people reading iPads in the middle of the day with their husband and wife. And it's just like it's the ultimate dream. But it's all based around, hey, I did this. You can do it, too. Right. And you look at all the people who are really killing in the space right now. They all kind of do that. It's this not really like hero worship, but it is this, hey, I went through this, too. I'm not some random guy who just copied YouTube videos and put them up on my own site, right? Like I did this, it works, it can work for you. So Keith, I want to jump in with a question, uh, you know, for the sort of freelancer who has no audience or is interested in this idea, but just doesn't have an audience. Is this something they, they can kind of bootstrap their way into, or is this something where they need to really focus on building an audience first? What's your advice for that kind of scenario? I really think that you have to build the audience first. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have like a 5,000 or 10,000 person list, but you have to have someone 
reading your content and being able to give you some of that feedback before you're able to create a course, right? Right. And the reason for that is, okay, I, I've sat, I've, I'm not posting anything. I'm creating my online course and it's done and I'm ready to sell it to. And who am I going to sell it to? I'm going to put mm-hmm. it on Twitter. Like maybe people have heard of me. Maybe people haven't. Like maybe my mom's going to buy. Like that's kind of the level we're talking about. And as we talked about earlier, the best way to get content that you know people are going to be excited about is by putting that content out there and seeing if they react to it. Right. I think it was Brian Castle who he was launching a new product and he he just wanted to gauge how interested people were in this. And it was, I believe it was a completely different from what he was normally in. And he's like, I'm just going to put out a webinar, free webinar, one hour, no sales pitch, no nothing. And I'm just going to talk about it for an hour and I'm going to take Q and a, and he did it. And he borrowed a bunch of people's audiences. He got people he knew to tweet about it. He tweeted to his own audiences. He emailed, Blah, blah, blah. He tried to build up a lot of buzz about this and he got a ton of people on the webinar. He got a ton of people on the webinar. He had a good Q&A session and that proved to him, yes, I have information that people want to know, right? And then I also have all these people's email addresses who want to know about this. So now he has the audience and he kind of bootstrapped that audience. Hmm. But if he had just gone into, hey, now I have a nine-week course, come pay me $500 for it, it's it's not going to work as well, right? Yeah. What is just to you in your experience, what's indispensable about a good info product or or specifically a good course? Like what's the one thing you just have to have for it to be successful or or worth the price of admission? It's changing a lot. It's changing a lot recently. And I think that community is the new key value structure in these online courses. I think there's a lot of them that up until recently didn't need a community aspect to them. But as there are more and more online courses, people are building them more and more. The value comes not only for the content, but also the people you can meet and talk through in that course. Right. And that's not for all of them, but that's somewhere that especially for freelancers, especially business professionals, right, that want to take an online course. I think that's a very, very important part of the mix. And I've actually joined courses specifically for the community. That's interesting. Takes a village. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like when, when you say community, do you mean like a forum, a Slack channel that's for people who have bought the course? Like, can yep, you be a little exactly. more specific? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So the community is generally a moderated but not controlled uh, way for people on the course to just talk to each other. So I've seen them on things like Group Buzz, where it's just forums. I've seen it through Facebook comments or Facebook groups. I noticed the comments aren't as great because they don't allow like intermingling. But Facebook groups have really been killing it in a lot of online places that don't want to deal with the real time of Slack and don't want to deal with the forum management of standard forum software. Uh, also, a lot of people are in Facebook constantly anyway, so it's a good touching point. For me personally, I like having the community, but I'm, I'm a lurker, not a writer. So I like meeting the people and usually I form those bonds. I start in the community and then form those bonds outside of the community, but everyone is very different. Right. But some sort of, hey, this guy is doing something similar to what I'm doing. I want to get in touch with him. Ability is very important, I think, for online courses now. I really want to ask this. I've been thinking this for a while. I mean, we've talked about books and we've talked about email style courses and we've talked about uh, courses where you get access to, you know, where you drip out videos or versus where you just kind of give them all the content and ebooks. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, uh, the communities that you can connect to those. How do you decide which ones is the best fit for you and for the community that you already have that you're a part of? That's a, that's a really good question. So it deals with understanding your community or understanding your audience. And one of the things that I find, and this segues into something else I wanted to talk about today, which was tiered pricing. So there's no reason. I, I think that 99% of audiences and communities would benefit from some sort of formalized student-only community, right? I also feel that way about videos. I think videos are very important. And I think that supplemental information, um, Nathan Berry did this great with his, with the way he set up his products where the lowest tier is just the, the ebook. And then he has the ebook plus like the Photoshop files. And then the highest tier is like the ebook, the Photoshop files and tons of interviews with designers. Right. And so 
what I really think is that these are all great strategies and it's a good way to kind of self-segment people in your audience into what they're going to buy, right? So you have the lowest value or the, the lowest priced item be just the course, just the text course, maybe a video or two. The next version up is the course plus those videos plus extra interviews or extra items that, that help people become better faster at the course, right? And then the third tier is all that plus some extras plus the community. And this does two things, which I think are really interesting. One is there's a reason you don't have a community for your entire audience, right? Because 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000, however many people you have in your audience, all chatting away on your Facebook special group or whatever is going to be hugely annoying. There's not going to be any value and you're not going to be able to separate the wheat, the wheat from the chaff, right? There's just going to, there's such a high signal to noise ratio. High, low, low, high. Hi. Yes. I, could. <laughs> I, I always go with unfavorable to unfavorable. that problem. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there we go. Unfavorable that's, signal that's, to that's, the bad, yeah. the bad signal to noise ratio. And <laughs> what having that higher price, having that available only at a higher price does is it self-selects people who are really serious about business. No one's going to pay, let's say, $1,000 for an online course that has a community and then just write horrible epithets to the, the group, right? Or if they do, that's going to be very rare and that's a huge waste of money for them, right? But if you open up to everyone, there's that trend of abuse. And also, you're not getting as much value because in a community, you want to be surrounded by your peers, right? You want to be surrounded by people who are in a similar position than you, maybe one step ahead, maybe one step below, but people who can help each other out, right? If you're in a community and it's just like, hey, look at all these cat pics for like pages and pages, then you're not going to get anything out of that. And it's bad for everyone. So creating this self-selected kind of, okay, these are the people who are serious because they were, they were willing to put up a thousand dollars to join this community. Then you know that the people in that community are serious about what they're doing. And then if you talk to them, you're not going to get like lol cat pics in, in response, right? Yeah, you know, one of the things I wanted to sort of circle back to on the tiered pricing issue, as someone who's written now two books, you know, writing the book is a massive effort. And so I have a product that has one price, which is a book. And I'm also aware of all the advantages of tiered pricing. I mean, all you have to do is go to Gumroad's, you know, help section for creators or do a little Googling and, and you just get kind of hit in the face with the message that you're leaving a lot of money on the table if you don't have a tiered price offering. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you have any tips, Keith, for, okay, you just released a book, you're exhausted. <laughs> Is there some you know way to reasonably add in maybe one or two tiers without additionally kind of killing yourself all over again to get that out the door? So if you want the, the cheapest and easiest way to get a second tier interview. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> interviews are great. Absolutely great. Like video interviews, audio interviews, anything where the content is not being created by you, but you are facilitating it is a great win and definitely worth the extra value and the extra money that you would charge for that higher tier, right? Nice. And you get two things from that. First of all, you get great content. I'll say three things. Second, you get great content that is very different than what you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it brings out more ideas and more information into your product. The third is you get to borrow that person's audience, right? Mm -hmm. If you had some, let's go back to Evan Pagan. You have Evan Pagan on an interview in your, in your gold version of your book. Suddenly Evan's audience is like, Hey, this is a great interview with Evan Pagan. We should totally watch this, right? Mm -hmm. Or you do something with, um, Brennan or someone similar, right? Right. Like being able to borrow that audience is a huge boon. Nice. All right. You've now convinced me why interviews are useful. Cause I, I mean, I must have been, <laughs> no, no. Cause like, cause, cause granted, I'm a cheapskate. And so when I see these different, I see these different tiers and I'm like, okay, I can see maybe buying, you know, this, 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 but interviews, am I really going to watch these interviews? Am I really going to listen? So when it came time to do my book that I released, I was like, I am not doing these interviews because no one cares. Um, and it could be that you're, that no one cares, you but your audience. But first of all, okay, fine. I'm not my audience, but, but above and beyond that, I can so easily see that if you interview five, 10 people, and it doesn't have to be long or in depth, but they then are interested in sort of spreading the word about other places they appeared. And mm -hmm. the borrowing the audience is, is fantastic. Very yeah, good insight there. 
Borrowing the money <laughs> is honestly the best way to grow any product, uh, whether it's a SaaS, whether it's an online course, whether it's your blog, whether it's anything. Borrowing an audience is just a great way to do it. And now it, it's interesting that you, you talk about not you personally not wanting the interviews, right? And me personally as well, I'm not that big into interviews. It's not something that I wouldn't pay more money just for the interviews, right? But we were talking about very fast ways to set that second tier. So that's a good way to create Mm -hmm. additional content that's not a pain in the butt for you guys that you can then anchor that lower price with the higher price. Because tiered pricing isn't just about providing more value. It's also about making the lower priced product or the lower priced tier seem more valuable. If I have a $50 ebook and then I say, and then the gold version is $500, that $50 looks like a huge deal, right? Where normally I wouldn't pay $50 for an ebook, but price anchoring it like that makes it seem like, okay, the, it, it's like when you go car shopping or God forbid, if you're building a house, like when I did at some point during the process, you're like thousand dollars for like clothes hanger rails on the, on the balcony. Yeah, that, that's cheap. Thousand, just a thousand dollars. But if you ask me now, <laughs> would you pay a thousand dollars for these clothes hangers? I have literally not even once used. I'd be like, no way. Weddings is the best example of that. Weddings are a great example. <laughs> every, every, all the prices are through the roof. So every, every, it's like everybody's price anchoring each other. It's like they got together and agreed. Yeah, like it's five hundred dollars for for a single bouquet. I mean, that's that's totally reasonable, right? Oh, a, a mediocre jam band that's definitely worth five thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> So I have to ask, though, with the interviews, I mean, I could see some of the people I might want to interview for some of my books saying, yeah, well, if you're going to sell it, I want a piece of the action or saying, I'm not really comfortable doing an interview if you're going to make it part of your paid package. You know, I've seen both sides of it. I haven't had much pushback on the people I've asked. They've generally been happy to uh, to have me on, especially for sometimes quid pro quo where I would be on their product as well, or I'd do an mm-hmm. interview with them. Now I have had, I do know some people that won't do an interview unless you're an affiliate or they get some of the money and you know what? Sure. Why not say, okay, you do that. I'll set you up as an affiliate. Any traffic you bring that makes money, I'll give you a bu- just whatever number you normally give plus X percent, right? Right. So let's say you give 50% to affiliates. You say, okay, anyone you bring in, I'll give you 75% because you were nice enough to do the the interview, right? And the bonus of that is, yeah, it's going to cost you more upfront, but now that person's on your list. They've already bought from you. They've gotten, they went from that person's list to your list. So you're not paying for the initial sale as much as you're wanting to pay for the continued relationship with that person, that new lead that you've gotten on. Okay. I've I've had one, one other thing that somebody has said to me when I brought up affiliates and that is I have reach with people who have large audiences. So if I tell them to set something up, then I want an affiliate commission on whatever they're bringing to Yep, tier tier one, tier two. Yep. There's one other thing I'd like to add about the, the tiering, which is that there are certain people who have just completely won me over. So I'm thinking of Alan Weiss or Michael Port, and these people put out content that I'm going to spend as much money with them as I can afford because they consistently make my business better. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, if they didn't make these other options available or these higher tier things available, even if they're only marginally more beneficial to me or they are maybe not even more beneficial to other people, they wouldn't be getting my dollars. Right. Exactly. And that's, that's something, especially when people, I don't want to say are in the growing phase, but they're still, they still have room and they're still kind of hungry, right? They're going to want to be on different areas and to get that name out there and to, to build that extra value for people, right? The more value that they, it, it's the 30% fluff things, right? The more value and the more personality that you're putting out there, the more people are going to connect with you. I believe that's a hundred percent true. I think it's super important. It's like, there's nothing new under the sun. The internet's kind of proved that or the Mm -hmm. web anyway. And it's really all about, or it's not all about, but it's a lot about, you need, the quality needs to be there. You need to know what you're talking about to a certain extent, but, but even just curating the content for a particular market, or I I love Philip's take on it is sort of localizing the content for a particular audience is super valuable. Oh yeah. I, I find, you know, the, the localization there, there's two things, and I think they're very connected, that really prove value to people and why people are willing to spend more money. 
on a product, right? So the one is custom content towards them, right? So things that are targeted specifically to my use case are much more valuable than the generic use case, right? There's a great example of a lawyer who had started selling the documents you need to start your first business, right? So it's all the legal documents, it's the incorporation documents, it's information on how to get it. Sales were horrible, right? Because it was the generic case. So he got the bright idea. Well, I'll just make up a ton of landing pages made for specific use cases. So how to get your dentistry up and running, all the documents you need to be an internet programmer, like all everything you need specific to your use case. The documents aren't that different. You just changed, uh, changed the vocation name. But the sales page, it was targeted specifically to them. So yeah, people, Michael Gerber did this with the e-myth. He is like e-myth for dentists, e-myth for architects, e-myth yep. for chiropractors, just exactly, on and on exactly. and on. And I, and I don't think that's just, um, you know, I, I want to say marketing move in like the bad way. It's not a gimmick. Just, it's not a gimmick. Thank you. That's exactly what I no, meant. No, it's, it's, it's not, not a, gimmick. a gimmick. Because there are things, you know, I, I read the, 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 the e-myth, the original one, and it was interesting because there were things that were very specific to my use case. And I was like, yes, I can totally use. And then there were things that was like, this has nothing to do with the way business is done anymore. Right. And I could have, I could have done without those parts and I could have done without, I, I would have wanted something more tailored towards me. Right. And that's the second part of that, which I also think is interesting is that there is a cost performance benefit to everything. Right. What I mean by that is, if a product saves me time in achieving my goal, I am willing to pay more for it, right? So let's go back to Nathan Berry's product tier example, where the lowest tier was just the ebook. So he teaches people how to be a designer. Now he's teaching people about authority and positioning, but originally it was all about being a designer, designing web apps, that kind of stuff. And so the first product was this ebook, and it talks about how he designed a web app, and it walks you through the steps and the theories and everything. The second tier of that product included the Photoshop files and the templates that he used. So what he's essentially saying is, yeah, you can read through this and recreate all this and do it all yourself. But if you really want to jump in on this, have the same tools that I had that makes your productivity so much better, pay me an extra $150 or whatever it was, and you get the tools too. And so that sets up a really interesting dichotomy between his audience. So the people who have more time than money are, of course, going to choose the lower one because they can re- reproduce the tools with what's in the book. It just takes them more time. They're paying with time. People who are in business and who are making money and, to be honest, are going to be better customers are willing to spend more to get started faster, to achieve their goals faster. right? And that's really the core of this tiered pricing is how can I get people to achieve their goals faster? So like there's a critical thing there that might not be obvious to people, which is that there could be people in your audience, especially when you're first starting out, who have way more money than time, even though that might not be the case in your particular situation. So, you know, to go back to the comments about Ruben, you know, you're not, you are not your audience. It could be that something that you cannot believe somebody would spend money on, but does give them some value is a no brainer purchase for them. Yep. So why not offer it? Like if you've got the time to put together, let's just use the interviews example. If you have the time and the connections to put together a series of interviews to, to bundle along with your ebook, never mind the fact that you think no one would ever pay for that because you're probably wrong. I'm probably demonstrably wrong because so many other people have done it, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I don't think all these people who are successful at marketing their online eBooks would all be doing something so dumb if it weren't making them money, especially since these are people to my paid to learn how to make money, right? So here's another interesting way to do that that goes specifically to the how do we get more value? How do we save time for our customers? If the interviewers if the interviewees that you're that you're bringing onto the podcast have SaaS products, maybe they're they own a tool that works well with your audience that makes them more productive. Get a get a discount. Say, okay, anyone who buys this masterclass, you get a you get a coupon and you get thirty percent off the first year, or you get thirty percent off for life, right? And bundle seven or eight of those together. Suddenly, you have a value of like ten thousand dollars that you're going to get off if you use all these tools and you say, and now just for $500 extra. Right. And so that's a great way. So we were talking about making people successful faster, but not doing a lot of extra work. That's a great way to do it is to get other people's systems and stuff in there as a tool that you're then able to offer a discount on. And 
most people are pretty happy to do that. In fact, most SaaS companies or even information products, they have affiliate discounts, right? And you just say, okay, instead of giving that affiliate payment to me, the 50% or the 30% of whatever it is, just make it a discount for my audience. And most people will be happy to do that, right? Because they're going to get your audience into their product and they don't have to pay the affiliate, right? So they still are, but it they don't have to pay any extra. It would be exactly the same as if you sent them a customer, but there's a much higher value and they're probably going to get more signups from it, right? Yeah, I was going to say most of the service providers that I've talked to over the course of podcasting for seven or eight years, I mean, they're delighted to pay for a sponsorship and give a discount out because mm-hmm. they get that kind of traction from the people that are coming their way because it's coming from an authoritative source. Exactly. And so if you are doing this with your book or course or whatever it is that you're putting out there and you're telling people, hey, and you get a discount on this service, uh, they will take that as an endorsement and they will go and they will sign up. And mm-hmm. then these people get the recurring revenue or whatever from whatever it is that you just sold them. And a lot of them will do it for free. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a great win-win for everyone. It's a win for you because you're going to get great content that ups the, the price of your of your course. It's a great win for the students because they get a discount they normally wouldn't get. And it's a great win for your partners because they get higher reach or wider reach and are able to, to get new customers on their end. So Keith, I've got another kind of, you know, bottom line question. What are the, the like sounds immensely appealing in every way? What are the unexpected kind of icebergs that I or anybody else would need to look out for if, if they wanted to start, you know, implementing, uh, building a course or, or implementing tiered pricing for a product? So the tiered pricing, I think there's not many gotchas. The biggest gotcha you're going to have is trying to figure out what that content is. And that's what we talked about. The biggest gotcha, I think, is refunds, because this is something that is not often talked about at all. And that is that info products have a very high uh, refund and chargeback rate. And this is not as much of a problem when you're just starting. Mm-hmm. Um, but most people think, oh, I've got the money. No one's ever going to get it back. It's mine now. But that's mm-hmm. not the case. A refund or a chargeback, which is when someone lays their credit card company and the credit card company says, oh, you're, you're right. I'm going to take that money back. And that can be levied up to a year after they purchase. So there's a reason that you see all these uh, 365 day satisfaction guaranteed things. It's because they don't want a chargeback. Right? Oh, how interesting. Because a chargeback not only hurts your credit rating or not your credit rating, but your business's merchant processing fees. Yeah. It also costs you money. So Stripe is the cheapest at $25 per chargeback. But some of them can be very expensive to have a chargeback. Uh, so that's just kind of the table stakes of, of doing this kind of endeavor is, you know, yep. dealing with a certain amount of that. Yes. And as your list grows, that number is going to grow as well. Uh, if you have a small list, you're probably not going to have many, but it's one of those gotchas that you have to be very aware of. You have to be, and this goes into something interesting. You have to be in communication with your students. So one of the things I see a lot of is people will have this beautiful sales funnel, this warming funnel, like be able to get people from an ad to buy this expensive product. And then they deliver the product and they never hear from them again, except for like other sales emails or like broadcasts, right? And that's a horrible way to treat a customer. And yeah, it's horrible. But the other horrible part is if people, if your students and your customers feel like they've been dropped, they're going to refund. Or in the worst case, they're going to do a chargeback, right? So a lot of people don't realize that the after support of a customer is infinitely more important than the initial sales to the customer, right? And I could go on for hours yeah. on that as well. Like that's a whole other topic about why you would want to do that. But it's it's very important and something can, that a lot of people don't realize. Can you yeah, just say a few words like about that actually? Because I am curious to hear about that. You're saying someone buys an info product online. Are you, are you saying that personal individual communication with them is important? Are you saying that putting them on an email list is important? Are you saying that like automated, uh, automated, 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 um, just to make people feel like you haven't dumped them, right? Because especially if you're doing a launch or you're doing a good sales funnel, you've been emailing them generally two to three times a week, right? And two to three times a week, they're used to hearing from you. They purchase and then you don't hear anything for like three weeks. You kind of, it's like the, the, the girlfriend that doesn't call you back, right? It's not, <laughs> it's, it's not a good feeling. 
And there's two important things there. One is that you want people to feel supported after they purchase. You want them to feel like more than just a paycheck to you. And this is important because your existing customer base is your most valuable asset. So your your list is very important. Your audience is very important. It's even more important to have people who are willing to spend money on you because they're the people who really believe in you, right? They're the people who, if treated well, are going to buy more courses when you release them. They're the people who are going to tell other people that your courses are amazing. How is anyone going to know if your course is amazing or not if they haven't purchased it and didn't have a good experience, right? It's There's parts of your course and there's there's the value of the course that you can't fully express through a sales email or through a sales page. And that conversation, that recommendation from someone who has gone through the course, the testimonials, the, hey, I told my mom and it was great, or I, I recommend it to all my friends, like that's where you're going to grow your business. Yeah, I think Jonathan and I are uh, the uh, Alan Weiss fan club uh, representation here. <laughs> and Alan Weiss talks about, <laughs> totally. uh, you know, you don't think about the first sale. You need to be thinking about the, I don't know, fifth or seventh sale to yep. that client. And, and, uh, just thinking in terms of long-term relationships. And yep. uh, it, it's interesting to see how that carries over to product the product world. There's an interesting stat that I'd, I'd have to find it, but it was, I think it was Bain and Company released it, but 70% of people who had a referral from a tr- trusted source went on to purchase. I wow. think it was, it was the stat. It's a, it's a huge number. Like having a referral from a trusted source, a friend, someone you know, like it's so much more valuable than any type of sales page you can put up, right? So treating your customers well and making sure they have a great experience and doing that follow-up is so important to growing, especially when you're small. You know, we were talking about communicating with your students and you said an automated sequence. Yeah, automated sequences are good. If you only have 20 customers, email them. Email them and ask for a response directly and say, hey, I, I saw you were doing this in the course. What do you think? What can I help you out with? You know, and we're, we just released this this software product, Segmetrics, I think six months ago now. And my co-founder and I agreed up to the first 200 customers, we go and we talk to every single person. Every single person can reach out specifically and we say, hey, do you want to get on a Skype call? I would love to talk about what you're doing. Awesome. Well, I hate to be the party pooper, but I've got another podcast coming up. So I've got to to drive us into the picks. But this has been really helpful. Uh, If people want to know more, uh, what are the best ways for them to follow up with you, Keith? So following up with me, go to my um, website at keithperhack.com. And it's actually pretty simple. I'm the only Keith Perhack in the world, apparently. Uh, so if you just search for Keith Perhack, you will definitely find me. Even things I don't want you to find. So, <laughs> <laughs> What happens on Facebook stays on Facebook. Exactly. I still have <laughs> posts from RPG.net forums back when I started my first company 20-something years ago. And you search for my name and they still show up. So wow. I've been steadily pushing them down. They used to be first page results. And so I've been pushing <laughs> them down and now they're page 20 or something like that. Uh, we'll have to do D&D at... Uh... MicroConf this year. That would be awesome. I, I wonder how many people at MicroConf are avid or reclused D&D players. So that would be fun. I haven't played since high, since high school, but it's fun just to kind of hang and do something. Recovering that... addict here, for sure. <laughs> yep. Brush off the old paladin. <laughs> that, that, that sounded much worse than I planned it to. <laughs> Chaotic neutral ranger, baby. All right. That's me. I, I think I was, I was always half-elf thief, I think, was my, was my go-to. Oh my god! <laughs> now, now my nerd cred is gone. I, I don't remember. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. It was great talking with everyone. Yeah. Well, we're going to do picks, and then we'll wrap up the show. Do you, Sounds good. Do you, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. So what I'm reading right now, uh, "Work the System," by I believe Sam Carpenter is the name. Really enjoying that right now. Sean DeSouza's "Brain Audit." Really loving that. And "Hooked" by Near Isle has been freaking amazing. As far as like tools that have like just changed the way I do business, we talked about Skype, but also meetme.so, which I think is called schedule once or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like essentially any automated scheduling software has just revolutionized my business. Like it saves me literally hundreds of hours a month. Very cool. Jonathan, what are your picks? My first pick, I think, has been picked before, but I just started using it, and I can throw on the big pile and say that it's really working for me anyway, which is Meet Edgar. We had, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. Laura Roder. Laura, thank you. Uh, she came on and did a really interesting talk 
or we had an interesting conversation on the show and I was convinced to try it even though I had my own homegrown solution that uh, I had Google Calendar events getting mapped into Zapier, which then posted on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. It worked, but uh, now that I have uh, an Edgar account, it is dramatically easier and I'm seeing an immediate increase in the number of followers I have, which is my goal, so I can correlate those two things closely. So I would say that it's definitely worth the money for people who are trying to increase their followers on social media. Uh, so that's really nice. And the other thing that I'm going to recommend is a book called The Facebook Ads Manual by Moishka Marsh, uh, which it, like I find Facebook ads super intriguing, but I'm a little bit overwhelmed with learning everything about it and how to get started. And I tend to just never do anything about it. And in, if you've ever done, you know, Google ads in the past, Facebook ads are way, way, way more targeted. And I think more beneficial for people who are in a tightly focused niche, like probably anybody listening to this show. Uh, so I highly recommend her book on Facebook ads and how to get started with those and sort of pros and cons and all of that. And it's available on Gumroad for the low, low price of $19. So since we're talking about ebooks, I figured I'd, I'd talk about an ebook. And that's all I got. Awesome. Philip, what are your picks? I'm going to start with something called Blab. <laughs> the URL is blab.im. I have been sort of casting about for uh, a solution to doing an Ask Me Anything style webinar. Uh, it's something I want to start experimenting with for, for my own business, primarily to kind of create a two-way conversation with the audience that I'm building around positioning and secondarily to get more list uh, subscribers. Blab is not really as good for that second purpose, but for the first purpose, it's really interesting. It's got some sort of interaction design choices that are different than anything else I've seen. It's a, a lot easier to get going than any other. It's not a webinar solution per se. It lets you do up to a four-way video chat. And what's interesting is that the general public can pop in very easily. And if you have less than four seats occupied, anyone in the audience uh, with your permission can take one of the unoccupied seats and join in the conversation real time, which I think is just super interesting for doing something like once a month, I'm going to email my list and say, hey, at this time and date, join me on this, you know, blab channel, you can set it up ahead of time. And you just ask anything you want about uh, a subject that I'm uh, somewhat of an expert in. And uh, so I'm very fascinated with what they've done and look forward to trying it out. And that's blab.im. I have a second pick that I'm just going to keep under my hat till next week. So folks better tune in for that. I don't want to make uh, Chuck late for his next appointment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Reuven, what are your picks? Okay, so I've got two picks for this week. First of all, how should we say it? Friends of the show, Kurt Elster and uh, Kai Davis, have a new product that I was one of the first people to try out. That The, the way they describe it is, how did I say? You're, oh, here we go. It's best to think of your anonymous visitors to your website as drunk sociopaths in a hurry. <laughs> and and with, relation, with treating your customers like that, what could possibly go wrong? In any event, they do website teardowns now, and I had them do it on my book, my ebook site, and it was just marvelous, interesting, insightful, quick, totally, totally, totally worth every penny I paid, which was not that much given the value I got out of it. So um, I, I really strongly recommend if people have either an e-commerce site that isn't performing well or that you'd like to just sort of get insights into how they can perform better, uh, I definitely recommend talking to these guys and seeing uh, – seeing what they can do for you. So that's pick number one. Pick number two is very short and not business related, but I recently decided to try something that turns out many, many, many other people have tried, which is putting Tabasco on popcorn. Oh my God, <laughs> it is so good. It is like, this is the best ever. So you should try if you like spicy food and popcorn because they go well together. Those are my picks for this week. Very nice. All right. I had a really great weekend this weekend, and so I'm just going to pick a couple of things there. Mostly it's about spending time with your family. Uh, just make some time and go do it. I tried to set I set aside my Saturdays to do it. Um, wound up taking my kids to the zoo on, on Saturday, and that's just way fun. So I'm going to pick that. Trick-or-treating was fun, too. I'm also going to pick, uh, if you want to connect with me on social media, feel free to do that. I'll put links to all that in the show notes. Uh, just cause that's kind of important to me. And finally, um, I know the show goes out in like 
two weeks from when we're recording this, I'm hoping to have the website up for Freelance Remote Conf. So if you're interested in a conference for freelancers about freelancing, I'm hoping to have quite a few folks that we've had on the show and at least the majority of our current and past hosts. So if you're interested in that, then go check it out at freelanceremoteconf.com. It is going to be part of a larger remote conference series, and you can see all of the shows that I'm putting out at allremoteconfs.com. And I'll just throw throw that out there as some kind of shameless self-promotion. But yeah, and plus one on the Edgar pick, because I really dig it. And I don't think there's anything else that we need to go over before we wrap up. So uh, thanks for coming, Keith. Thank you guys for having me. Hope to see you at MicroConf this next year. Yeah, looking forward to it. There's a 50% chance I'll be there, so we'll see. All right. We'll wrap up the show, and we'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum. 